Section four of Policeman Blue Jay by L. Frank Baum. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jude Summers. Chapter seven The Blue Jay's Story. There is no more faithful mother in the forest than the blue titmouse, which is a cousin to the chickadee, continued the policeman. And this spring Tom Titmouse and his wife Nancy set up housekeeping in a little hollow in an elm tree about half a mile north of this spot. Of course the first thing Nancy did was to lay six beautiful eggs, white with brown spots all over them, in the nest. Tom was as proud of these eggs as was Nancy and as the nest was hidden in a safe place they flew away together to hunt for caterpillars and had no thought of danger but on their return an hour later what was their sorrow to find the nest empty and every pretty egg gone on the ground underneath the tree were scattered a few bits of shell but the robber was nowhere to be seen tom titmouse was very indignant at this dreadful crime and came to me at once to complain of the matter but of course i had no idea who had done the deed I questioned all the birds who have been known to slyly steal eggs, and every one denied the robbery. So Nancy Titmouse saw she must lay more eggs, and before long had another six speckled beauties at the bottom of her nest. They were more careful now about leaving home, but the danger seemed past. One bright sunny morning they ventured to fly to the brook to drink and bathe themselves, and on their return found their home despoiled for a second time. Not an egg was left to them out of the six, and while Nancy wept and wailed, Tom looked sharply around him and saw a solitary shrike sitting on a limb not far away. "'What's a shrike?' asked Chubbins. "'It is a bird that looks a good deal like that mockingbird sitting next to you, but it bears a bad character in the forest and has earned the vile name of Butcher Bird. I admit that I am always obliged to keep an eye upon the shrike, for I expect it to get into mischief at any time.' Well, Tom Titmouse naturally thought this shrike had eaten Nancy's eggs, so he came to me and ordered me to arrest the robber. But the shrike pleaded his innocence, and I had no proof against him. Again Nancy, with true motherly courage and perseverance, laid her eggs in the nest, and now they were never left alone for a single minute. Either she or Tom was always at home, and for my part I watched the shrike carefully and found he did not fly near the nest of the titmice at all. The result of our care was that one fine day the eggs hatched out, and six skinny little titmice, with big heads and small bodies, were nestling against Nancy's breast. The mother thought they were beautiful, you may be sure, and many birds gathered around to congratulate her and Tom, and the brown thrush sang a splendid song of welcome to the little ones. When the children got a little stronger, it did not seem necessary to guard the nest so closely and the six appetites required a good many insects and butterfly eggs to satisfy them. So Tom and Nancy both flew away to search for food, and when they came back they found, to their horror, that their six little ones had been stolen, and that the nest was bare and cold. Nancy nearly fainted with sorrow, and her cries were pitiful and heart-rending. But Tom Titmouse was dreadfully angry, and came to me demanding vengeance. "'If you are any good at all as a policeman,' said he, "'you will discover and punish the murderer of my babies.' "'So I looked all around and finally discovered, "'not far from the nest of the titmice, four of their children, "'all dead, and each one impaled upon a thorn of a bush "'that grew close to the ground. "'Then I decided it was indeed the shrike, "'for he has a habit of doing just this thing, "'killing more than he can eat "'and sticking the rest of his murdered victims on thorns "'until he finds time to come back and devour them.' 
I was also angry by that time, so I flew to the shrike's nest and found him, all scratched and torn, and his feathers plucked in many places. "'What happened to you?' I asked. "'I had a fight with a weasel last night,' answered the shrike, "'and both of us are rather used up today.' "'Still,' said I sternly, "'you had strength enough to kill the six little titmice and to eat two of them.' "'I never did,' said he earnestly. "'My wings are too stiff to fly.' "'Do not lie about it, I beg of you,' said I, "'for we have found four of the dead titmice stuck on the thorns of a bush, "'and your people have been known to do such things before.' "'At this the shrike looked worried. "'Really,' said he, "'I cannot understand it, but I assure you I am innocent.' "'Nevertheless, I arrested him and made him fly with me to the judgment tree, "'where all the birds had congregated.' He was really stiff and sore, and I could see it hurt him to fly, but my duty was plain. We selected a jury of twelve birds, and Judge Bullfinch took his seat on a bough, and then the trial began. Tom Titmouse accused the shrike of murder, and so did Nancy, who had nearly cried her eyes out. I also gave my evidence. But the prisoner insisted strongly that he was innocent, and claimed that he had not left his nest since his fight with the weasel, and so was guiltless of the crime. But no one had any sympathy for him, or believed what he said, for it is often the case that when one has earned a bad character, he is thought capable of any wickedness. So the jury declared him guilty, and the judge condemned him to die at sundown. We were all to fall upon the prisoner together, and tear him into bits with bill and claw. But while we waited for the sun to sink, Will Sparrow flew up to the judgment tree and said, "'Hello, what's going on here?' "'We are just about to execute a criminal,' replied the judge. "'What has he been doing?' asked Will, eyeing the shrike curiously. "'He killed the titmice children this morning, and ate two of them, "'and stuck the other four upon a thorn-bush,' explained the judge. "'Oh, no, the shrike did not do that,' cried Will Sparrow. "'I saw the crime committed with my very own eyes, "'and it was that cunning weasel, the one that lives in the pine-stump, "'that did the dreadful murder.' "'At this all the birds set up an excited chatter,' and the shrike again screamed that he was innocent. So the judge said gravely, "'Will Sparrow always speaks the truth. Release the prisoner, for we have misjudged him. We must exact our vengeance upon the weasel.' So we all flew swiftly to the pine stump, which we knew well, and when we arrived we found the weasel sitting at the edge of his hole and laughing at us. "'That is the very weasel I fought with,' said the shrike. "'You can see where I tore the fur from his head and back with my sharp beak.' "'So you did,' answered the weasel, "'and in return I killed the little tomtits.' "'Did you stick them on the thorns?' asked Judge Bullfinch. "'Yes,' said Weasel. "'I hoped you would accuse the shrike of the murder "'and kill him to satisfy my vengeance.' "'We nearly fell into the trap,' returned the judge. "'But Will Sparrow saw your act and reported it "'just in time to save the shrike's life. "'But tell me, did you also eat Nancy Titmouse's eggs?' "'Of course,' confessed the weasel, "'and they were very good indeed.' "'Hearing this, Tom Titmouse became so excited "'that he made a furious dash at the weasel, "'who slipped within his hole and escaped. "'I condemn you to death,' cried the judge. "'That's all right,' answered the weasel, "'sticking just the tip of his nose out of the hole. "'But you've got to catch me before you can kill me. "'Run home, my pretty birds. "'You're no match for a weasel.' "'Then he was gone from sight, "'and we knew he was hidden safely in the stump,' where we could not follow him, for the weasel's body is slim and slender. But I have not lived in the forest all my life without learning something, and I whispered a plan to Judge Bullfinch that met with his approval. He sent messengers at once for the ivory-billed woodpeckers, 
and soon four of those big birds appeared and agreed to help us. They began tearing away at the stump with their strong beaks, and splinters flew in every direction. It was not yet dark when the cunning weasel was dragged from his hole and was at the mercy of the birds he had so cruelly offended. We fell upon him in a flash, and he was dead almost instantly. "'What became of the shrike?' asked Twinkle. "'He left the forest the next day,' answered Policeman Blue Jay. "'For although he was innocent of this crime, he was still a butcher-bird, and he knew our people had no confidence in him.' "'It was lucky Will Sparrow came in time,' said the girl Lark. "'But all these stories must have made you hungry, so I'd like to invite my guests to have some refreshments.' The birds seemed much surprised by this invitation, and even Policeman Blue Jay wondered what she was going to do. But Twinkle whispered to Chubbins, and both the bird children flew into their basket and returned with their claws full of cookie. They repeated the journey many times, distributing bits of the rare food to all of the birds who had visited them, and each one ate the morsel eagerly and declared it was very good. Now, said the policeman, when the feast was over, let us all go to the brook and have a drink of its clear, sweet water. So they flew away, a large and merry band of all sizes and colors, and the child larks joined them, skimming the air as lightly and joyously as any of their new-found friends. It did not take them long to reach a sparkling brook that wound its way through the forest, and all the feathered people drank their fill standing upon the low bank or upon stones that rose above the level of the water. At first the children were afraid they might fall into the brook, but presently they gained courage, and when they saw the thrust and bullfinch plunge in and bathe themselves in the cool water, Chubbins decided to follow their example, and afterward Twinkle also joined them. The birds now bade the child larks good-bye, and promised to call upon them again, and soon all had flown away except the blue jay, who said he would see Twinkle and Chubbins safe home again, so that they would not get lost. They thanked him for this kindness, and when they had once more settled upon the limb beside their nest, the blue jay also bade them good night, and darted away for one last look through the forest to see that all was orderly for the night. End of chapter 7 Chapter 8 Mrs. Hootaway As the child larks sat side by side upon their limb, with the soft gray nest near at hand, the twilight fell and a shadow began to grow and deepen throughout the forest. Twink, said Chubbins gravely, how do you like it? Well, replied the girl, it isn't so bad in the daytime, but it's worse at night. That bunch of grass mixed up with the stems of leaves that they call a nest isn't much like my pretty white bed at home, Chubbins. Nor mine, he agreed. And Twink, how ever can we say our prayers when we haven't any hands to hold up? Prayers, Chub, said the girl are more in our hearts than in our hands. It isn't what we do that counts, it's what we feel. But the most that bothers me is what the folks at home will think when we don't come back. They'll hunt for us, Chubbins suggested, and they may come under this tree and call to us. If they do, said Twinkle, we'll fly right down to them. I advise you not to fly much in the night, said a cheery voice beside them, and Whisk the Squirrel stuck his head out of the hollow where he lived. "'You've had quite a party here today,' he continued, "'and they behaved pretty well while the policeman was around. "'But some of them might not be so friendly if you met them alone.' "'Would any bird hurt us?' asked the girl in surprise. "'Why, I've seen a magpie meet a thrush and fly away alone,' replied Whisk. 
and the wrens and chickadees avoid the cuckoo as much as possible, because they are fond of being alive. But the policeman keeps the big birds all in order when he is around, and he makes them all afraid to disobey the laws. He's a wonderful fellow, that policeman, Blue Jay. Even we squirrels are glad he is in the forest. Why? asked Chubbins. Well, we also fear some of the birds, answered Whisk. The lady in the third flat, for instance, Mrs. Hootaway, is said to like a squirrel for a midnight meal now and then, when mice and beetles are scarce. It is almost her hour for wakening, so I must be careful to keep near home. Tut, 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 cried a harsh voice from above. What scandal is this you are talking, Mr. Whisk? The squirrel was gone in a flash, but a moment later he put his head out again and turned one bright eye toward the upper part of the tree. There, on a perch outside her hollow, sat a gray owl, pruning her feathers. It was nearly dark by this time, and through the dusk Mrs. Hootaway's yellow eyes could be seen gleaming bright and wide open. "'What nonsense are you putting into the heads of these little innocents?' continued the owl, in a scolding tone. "'No nonsense at all,' said Whisk, in reply. "'The child larks are safe enough from you, because they are under the protection of Policeman Blue Jay, and he would have a fine revenge if you dared to hurt them. But my case is different.' The laws of the birds do not protect squirrels, and when you're abroad, my dear Mrs. Hootaway, I prefer to remain snugly at home. To be sure, remarked the owl with a laugh, you are timid and suspicious by nature, my dear Whisk, and you forget that although I have known you for a long time, I have never eaten you. That is my fault and not yours, retorted the squirrel. Well, I am not after you tonight, neighbor, nor after birds either. I know where there are seven fat mice to be had, and until they are all gone you may cease to worry. I'm glad to hear that, replied Whisk. I wish there were seven hundred mice to feed your appetite, but I'm not going to run into danger recklessly, nevertheless, and it is my bedtime. So good night, Mrs. Hootaway, and good night, little child larks. The owl did not reply, but Twinkle and Chubbins called good night to the friendly squirrel, and then they hopped into their nest and cuddled down close together. The moon was now rising over the trees and flooding the gloom of the forest with its subdued silver radiance. The children were not sleepy. Their new life was too strange and wonderful for them to be able to close their eyes at once. So they were rather pleased when the gray owl settled on the branch beside their nest and began to talk to them. "'I am used to slander, my dears,' she said, in a pleasanter tone than she had used before. "'So I don't mind much what neighbor Whisk says to me.' but I do not wish you to think ill of the owl family, so I must assure you that we are as gentle and kindly as any feathered creatures in the forest, not excepting the birds of paradise. I am sure of that, replied Twinkle earnestly. You are too soft and fluffy and pretty to be bad. It isn't the prettiness, said the gray owl, evidently pleased by the compliment. It is the nature of owls to be kind and sympathetic. Those who do not know us very well say harsh things about us, because we fly in the night, when most other birds are asleep, and sleep in the daytime, when most other birds are awake. Why do you do that, said Chubbins? Because the strong light hurts our eyes. But although we are abroad in the night, we seek only our natural prey, and obey the great law of the forest more than some others do. What is the great law? inquired Twinkle curiously. Love. It is the moral law that is above all laws made by living creatures. The whole forest is ruled by love more than it is by fear. You may think this strange when you remember that some animals eat birds, and some birds eat animals, 
and the dreadful creeping things eat us both. But nevertheless, we are so close to nature here that love and tenderness for our kind influences us even more than it does mankind, the careless, unthinking race from which you came. The residents of the forest are good parents, helpful neighbors, and faithful friends. What better than this could be said of us? Nothing, I'm sure, if it's true, replied the girl. Over in the land of paradise, continued the owl thoughtfully, the birds are not obliged to take life in order to live themselves, so they call us savage and fierce. But I believe our natures are as kindly as those of the birds of paradise. Where is this land of paradise you speak of? asked Twinkle. Directly in the center of our forest. It is a magical spot, protected from intrusion, not by any wall or barred gates, but by a strong wind that blows all birds away from that magnificent country except the birds of paradise themselves. There is a legend that man once lived there, but for some unknown crime was driven away. But the birds have always been allowed to inhabit the place, because they did no harm. I'd like to see it, said Chubbins. So would I, confessed the gray owl, with a sigh. But there is no use of my attempting to get into the paradise of birds, because the wind would blow me back. But now it is getting quite dark, and I must be off to seek my food. Mrs. Possum and I have agreed to hunt together tonight. Who is Mrs. Possum? asked the girl. An animal living in the lowest hollow of this tree, answered the owl. She is a good-natured creature, and hunts by night as I do. She is slow, but being near the ground, she can spy a mouse much quicker than I can, and then she calls to me to catch it. So between us we get plenty of game, and are helpful to each other. The only drawback is that Mrs. Possum has four children, which she carries in her pouch, wherever she goes, and they have to be fed as well as their mother. So the possums have five mouths to my one, and it keeps us busy to supply them all. It's very kind of you to help her, remarked Twinkle. Oh, she helps me too, replied the owl cheerfully. But now good night, my dears. You will probably be asleep when I get home again. Off flew Mrs. Hootaway with these words, and her wings moved so noiselessly that she seemed to fade away into the darkness like a ghost. The child larks sat looking at the silver moon for a time, but presently Twinkle's eyelids drooped and she fell asleep, and Chubbins was not long in following her example. End of chapter 8 End of section 4